Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. Todd, what is Irish and sits on a patio? Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess it would probably be a better joke here. Uh, what's Irish <laughs> and sits on your back deck? I, I don't know. Patio furniture. <laughs> is this because St. Patrick's Day is sometime? It's I don't sometime. know when. I have no idea is it when. over? I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, um, patio before furniture. We talk, patio furniture. Is there like a, am I, I'm, what am I hearing in the background? It's like way, I'm hearing like waves or something. Or do you have like a little applause machine that you're pressing the button of? No, I, I mean, our heater's on. What's in your hand? Uh, we're going to do a magic trick. Oh, okay. I kept hearing like a rush of waves or a wind sound or something like that i have no idea what that is okay so all right um we're gonna do a little magic trick uh oh perfect for the audio medium of a podcast podcast. so um i have some wooden cards here that have a bunch of numbers on them and the numbers are between one and 60 so what i want you to do is i want you to think of a number any number between one and 60 inclusive and um to focus on that number you know uh, once you've decided what that number is do you have that number in mind yes now think about that number focus on and visualize that number okay so what i want you to do and i don't know if my cameras are forwards or backwards but oh can you read that card or is it Uh, yes yes i can no it's part it's good okay is your number on this yes. card. Okay. And is it on this card? Um, no. Okay. Do the numbers go in order or do I have to look at them all? Uh, I think, <laughs> I think they're, 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 yeah, they're in oh, they're order. a little mixed up. Um, uh, yes. Okay. Um, n- no. This is compelling, by the okay. way. Okay, how about this one? If I missed one of these, I'm gonna screw this <laughs> screw this all up. Tell me. Uh yes. Is is your number twenty one? No. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Should I, am I gonna have to edit this whole thing out? Probably. We'll do it again some out of time. Uh, <laughs> That does remind me, I did learn one of those uh, card tricks where you like make the piles and it's somehow about math and exclusion and stuff like that. And my number was 37, but I was also trying to pay attention to see if 42 was also coming up because I had first was like, oh, 42. But then I switched it to 37 before we started. You want Uh, to cut this out and do it again and and pick a new number? (laughs) No. Okay. So eventually, how long does that take to whittle down what number I found? And is it the same? Do does everyone? 
I guess everyone's not picking the same number, but well, we, I guess we I, failed on the trick, and so we can't. We can't. In my it defense, up. it was a very difficult to see. Imagine somebody holding up something the size of a playing card with what fifty numbers on it over a webcam. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, six. So thirty numbers on each one. <laughs> Oh well, I'm sorry I failed your I failed your magic magic trick. My my warm up with trip with with Nick has him tripping out like he. uh, uh, I feel now you know what. Let's give this another try. This is a can do podcast, Mark, (laughs) and just because we fail the first time doesn't mean we quit. So So why don't we do this again? So I I will pick a completely different number. Thinking a, a, a completely different number. Okay. Picturing your never mind. <laughs> Maybe that's okay. what I was doing wrong the I first time. You, I wasn't. I don't think you were visualizing. <laughs> uh, you got to use the secret. Instead. Okay. I know. I got to secret this. Okay. So, no. Okay. No. Okay. This one's hard to read. Oh, that one's hard to read. Uh, no. Okay. Yes. Okay. What? What's this? <laughs> yes. Have they all had stars on them? Have I just missed it the whole time? They've all in the had, bottom corner. Oh. All had stars <laughs> on it. Yes. This is that thing where I don't notice the bear playing basketball behind you. Uh, no. Um, twenty-four. Correct. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Riotous applause on that one. See, now we're back on track. I'm feeling good about things. <laughs> yes. Isn't there an ooh and ah button? I do have, by the way, my beloved Stream Deck um, sound cut, uh, sounder shortcut thing. It is not hooked up. I haven't quite figured out the mechanism to get that to into any sort of a feed or not. But I am at my own home using one of the nice microphones and the old mixer that you gave me. So I'm very excited about um, this contraption that I have. <laughs> shackled to my desk in a, a ludicrous and dangerous way to have this microphone arm here but um <laughs> so that's very exciting although i cannot hear myself so i hope this sounds okay yeah, you sound great to me perfect perfect i got uh my first vaccination shot this week oh great yes. how did that go where did you have to go uh so uh as a military veteran i'm registered in the va and uh-huh. i've been really keeping track of the VA website because the VA is it's in this weird place where it's operating from a federal guideline within states structures right okay and so um they haven't done all of the same court not same coordination the same like the Oregon rollout of you we're now taking 65 and older and and everything isn't in line with what the VA internally is doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The VA is doing at least that, if not more. And so they're being more progressive than the state guideline within each state. And so I have been watching the VA website, and the VA website hasn't been totally up to date. It's like, uh, we're now accepting 75 year and older people with pre-existing conditions and their caretakers, basically. And, and, and so I've, I've kept my information up to date, kept a little checkbox checked that said, hey, 
I'll I'm in line whenever you're ready. And um, <laughs> I'll just be here. I'm waiting for you. And um, and I know that like, yeah, whatever. Um, and so I got the email on Thursday and it said, click here to set an appointment. And there was an appointment for the next day. And I went to the Veterans Administration and got a shot and I got my second one booked in two weeks. Nice. Did you have any side effects? Nope. Um, my Great. It was Pfizer, Pfizer, and my shoulder. Pfizer? Pfizer. <laughs> I don't know. Wilhelm scream. And, and I admit that that was a delightful <laughs> subversion of my expectations. <laughs> um, I had Pfizer, and my arm uh, was a little bit sore for uh, half a day. That, that's oh, good, I, good. That's yeah, and I noticed too with both of my both of my shots, it was very much that I wasn't on any sort of waiting list of any kind that it was impossible to do. But then, like the next day, like everything happened, and like you all of a sudden have oh. a place to go. And it, so, I have a feeling that what they are trying to do is under promise availability for things like that, so that they can kind of over deliver on yep. on who gets it. So, oh, that's great. I am going to make a lot of noise here and try to move my computer up <laughs> because Repli I'm staring through this giant microphone right at your replicate replicate. Oh, that was that's my um, keychain that I got. That is oh yes, shaped like the retrocade. Yeah, <laughs> shaped like the coin insert slot of a uh, of a video game, which is super cool. I have it hanging here under my under my G. I have a tiny little pencil topper Jesus thing that somebody gave me and it looks like Jesus is supposed to be like raising his hands to like say let us pray or whatever but it looks like he's trying to start a fight which always makes me laugh uh, so how is moving going uh you know it's mostly terrible uh I hate movies <laughs> yes. and um I I don't have a good attention span for things and so I'm going through all of my the landing spot of all of my museum articles you know basically i collect little fun things <laughs> and they all end up in this room and so i've got a room chock full of little fun things it's yeah. impossible for me to spend more than five minutes without being a hundred percent distracted by everything around me. That is 100% the reason why I've never gone through, even though I know there's stuff in there I've needed to find. I have one giant wooden army, like foot, you know, crate or whatever those are that's filled with all of the stuff basically from my past. And I'm like, oh, I'm looking for that specific thing. And like, I can't go in there because no. I'll make it 30 seconds and like, oh, here's all of the pictures I took in junior high. I guess I will look at all of them and nothing will ever get done. So I, yeah, I can't do that either. When uh, Nick's cousin, uh, Nick's nephew was uh, 10, he's now 16 and uh, hates everybody uh, you know, and so we're, we're terrible now but when he was 10 we were totally cool uh, I bought him a, a magic kit of a whole magic show that was like really well done and these are uh, wooden cards he gave these back a couple years ago I was like I don't want these anymore yeah and uh, and so now I've got a really cool little magic set oh that's <laughs> that, awesome that includes the mind reading card trick <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something trick. we would have covered on Binsworthy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. Well, I have some news uh, for us here. The first one, um, the man who invented the cassette tape in 1963 has died at the age oh. of 94, who was a proud Dutchman working for the Royal or for the company Royal Phillips, came up with the idea of the compact cassette, a convenient analog magnetic tape recording format for audio recording. Uh, eventually, he was also involved in the invention of the more durable compact disc in the 1970s. Uh, during the development of the cassette tape in the early 1960s, he had a wooden block made that fit exactly in his coat pocket. This was how big the first compact cassette was to be, making a lot hardier or handier, excuse me, than the bulk tape, uh, bulky tape recorders of the time. So, um, blah 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 blah. Yeah. So, uh, interesting. Now that there seems to be some sort of nostalgic reboot of the cassette tape. Um, we are paying homage to the Lou Ottens who invented that in 1963. So awesome. I've, I've made many a mixtape mixtape. I don't think and I was trying to explain to one of the kids and I just sounded like a crazy person. I <laughs> wanted, um, it took me almost four and a half years to be able to get the bangles eternal flame onto a cassette tape so I could hear it more than once like every five years because by the time I really wanted it it wasn't really on the radio anymore the single which would have been popular at the time you know that was out of date too because the song was a couple years old and I remember I remember hearing it come on the radio whatever and so I still have it on that on a tape in that very crate we were just talking about um where I I finally got eternal flame minus the first like 25 seconds or whatever because I had to run across the room and <laughs> press record on my on my thing so when it when it came on the radio right yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so and it had to come. It had to come on Kiss FM. It had to come. <laughs> so I would. Um, I remember. Let's see, I I must have been a freshman in high school, and uh, so this would have been. Uh, I, I'd be fourteen, so uh, eighty-five, and I, I this was a couple year. Oh, it couldn't have been that anyway. Whatever. It was a couple <laughs> years after Nana's. 99 red balloons was a huge hit <laughs> sure and it had since gone off the radio and i wanted that song right and so <laughs> to I was, add to your collection of german sung songs about the cold war <laughs> this, <laughs> a, a playlist of one i think <laughs> starting and beginning with nina's 99 luft balloons <laughs> nana and oh sorry <laughs> And yes, um, I'll, there's I'll, incidentally, there's a really good uh, there's a YouTube channel called Todd in the Shadows that does music uh, kind of pop music reviews. And like um, he does this great series called One Hit Wonderland, which is all just about one hits. And there's a great episode on on 99 Luft Balloons and how that came to be a hit and all that. But uh. Uh, she was huge in Germany and continues to be. She's no one hit wonder. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, there was also Falco in that in that time. How dare I forget? Although, Amadeus. But he didn't. He didn't really have a lot of uh, uh, songs about the Cold War. Um, anyway, <laughs> I so I wanted that song on my mixtape, and so I would call every radio station in the San Diego market, requesting that song, and over and over again, it's like. What song? Because it'd been off the radio for two years, 
it's done. Like there's yeah. no like, it's either oldies or nowies, right? There's no right. like two year agoies, right? Uh, and so uh, there was there was no ability for me to and. I didn't get it for years. I thought, like, well, I guess we're done with that song. I guess we'll <laughs> never hear that again. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, you know, the it was it was crazy. Well, I, I always think about it, and we talk about this. Well, we talk about this. I talk about this a lot as I continue to be baffled by how sound works. Um, how, like, if you grew up in the 1800s, you heard a song once. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> like you heard it once as you were walking by and, and it was gone forever, which is weird. Um, well, I'm hoping and I I know this is a huge rabbit hole that uh, we're dangerously uh, close to getting into. And I know there's already been a lot of talk and a lot of explainers and stuff about this this past week about this new trend of non-fungible tokens oh, yeah. that is like sweeping the world right now. So I have a tiny little piece <clears throat> and I'm hoping that maybe you can I, I'm talk to me it. like I'm a, a, a five-year-old about it. So uh, the famous guy in Bad Luck Brian, uh, the Bad Luck Brian, sold it as crypto art for $36,000. So this is just one of many, many stories, including uh, uh, what we'll get here, Jack Dorsey's first tweet and pieces of, I was listening to the Not Nerd podcast, go listen to them. Uh, last week, they had an explainer on it that I think I wasn't quite uh, up to understanding yet. Uh, but it's um, pieces of basketball, like NBA basketball game, like all this weird stuff, um, so bad luck Brian hit a blah 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 sold the photo for a piece of crypto art for 20 ethereum or around $36,000. The auction took place on Foundation an online marketplace um, that has hosted several other high profile sales of crypto art. So NFTs which are non-fungible tokens which honestly sounds like something out of like a a, a hobbit novel totally. non-fungible tokens are non-duplicable <clears throat> digital token similar to cryptocurrency but unlike the currency the NFTs cannot be directly exchanged or traded or split into smaller values. So the meme market is red hot. The Nyan Cat meme sold for almost $600,000 as an NFT uh, in February. And Jack Dorsey is auctioning off ownership of the first ever tweet to benefit charity. Now, I understand the concept of like I could I, Todd Workoven, could uh, raise the money to buy, let's say, um, I don't one of Damian Lillard, the the NBA actual NBA fil- footage of in, of Damian Lillard making one of his like incredible half court buzzer beaters, and like as the owner of that, I would be able to sell or lease it or sell it however you work it to like an ESPN sports package or like whoever wanted to use it has to buy it through me. So that I understand, but what I've been hearing is that it does not give you any like if I buy the bad like Brian bad like Brian meme. I can't like keep others from you. Like I can't use it like other right. copy protected material. So I'm not quite sure what this is. <laughs> Join the crowd. So <laughs> <clears throat> NFTs. Uh, so fungibility is, it's a term that's used legally a lot. Uh, and when something is fungible, it's interchangeable. And so if, I have a pile of $100 bills and you come in with five $100 bills. 
you can throw your five of those $100 bills into my pile, take five different ones out, and we are both perfectly content. There's there's no difference functionally between any of those $100 bills. And so they are fully interchangeable. They are fully fungible. Okay. okay. I'm, so I'm those are fun. So, far. Good, so good. those are those so Bitcoin are fungible to- tokens. Uh I could give you one Bitcoin, you could give me one Bitcoin. We're uh square. It doesn't matter which Bitcoin I have. It just matters the quantity I that see, I have. I see. Right? Okay. So, uh conversely, um there's many Mona Lisa's painted out in the world, but there's one that's authentic. And there's nothing we can do to interchange or or exchange that one for another one at all. Like it is a unique piece of art. There are many duplicates, but there are none that are the original art save for that one. And so an NFT is essentially a certificate of authenticity. Uh, if we think of it that way, it doesn't change the art or protect the art. It certifies that this one is the only art, right? Okay. If if you make a copy of that, so so I take a, a selfie and I pin it to the. Um, the interplanetary file system, the IPFS, which is a thing. <laughs> so I the best part it. is I will do no follow up, so you could be completely making it's that true. up, and I have no idea. No, it's I'll true. Just go on from here, believing that is true. I pin it to the IPFS, which gives me a ID, and then I create an NFT, a fungible, a non fungible token related to that pinned item in the IPFS. And now we have a certified version of that selfie that makes it that if you copy that selfie and you make a a separate image file, I can prove that your copy is not the real one. Sure. Because the IPFS has the signature and the certificate of authenticity of this original one. And that's purchased by me, owned by me, and it the the NF NFT uh, does not protect it from being exchanged. It just certifies who the owner is. Okay, well that makes sense except for the part where like again if I bought the Mona Lisa somehow, I yep. would be in charge of like official merchandising, like all of those things that comes with owning an intellectual property and it a doesn't physical, sound like a physical intellectual property. Yes. These aren't physical. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that sounds like a whole lot of lawyer breaks, talk to me. It breaks down. It breaks down really quick. And it's wide open for money laundering. It's wide open well, good. for fraud. It's wide open for lots of I'm sure of issues. rich people around the globe will never take advantage of this. <laughs> never. <laughs> so, yeah, NFTs are a thing. Interesting. Uh, they're, they're, uh, I'm, I'm working on a project that is uh, 
the the oh owner. with your one with your guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh and and so <laughs> it's it's not uh a project that i can talk about right but, right uh but he uh wants nfts to be involved and okay. and so we for are, him. are now integrating that into the system sell them while they're hot <laughs> all right well this uh next story i found interesting and i haven't read it yet other than the headline so i'm excited to find out with all of us what this story is going to be about uh the headline reads the texas rangers will stop hypnotizing people raising a lot of questions i didn't know i had <laughs> Uh, So this week, the Texas Department of Public Safety confirmed to the Dallas Morning News that state law enforcement had discontinued the use of hypnosis after more than 40 years. The change comes nearly a year after the Dallas Morning News investigation uncovered paperwork showing that the DPS had turned had turned to hypnosis in its work, most often carried out by the Rangers, the Texas Rangers, nearly 2000 times since 1980 and as recently as this past October. All told, the uh, Dallas Morning News identified, quote, dozens of incidents where people have been sent to jail and even death row based on evidence obtained in part through hypnosis of victims or witnesses. So um, we did a show a long time ago about uh, uh, hypnosis. uh, And so this kind of reiterates what we talked about back then. But the efficacy of hypnotic memory retrieval is deeply in debate, with Johns Hopkins Medicine noting that, quote, researchers found that hypnosis does not work well as a memory recovery recovery method and that people who have been hypnotized tend to feel confident that their memories are accurate contributing to the president uh, the persistence of false memories uh, it invites inaccuracies false memories and the creation of quote super witnesses who are unnaturally confident often impervious to cross-examination and therefore disproportionately impactful uh, in 2016, a Virginia Supreme Court freed Keith Allen Harward after DNA. Uh, he got exonerated for a rape and murder case because the DNA uh, evidence came back. Uh, he's already served 33 years of a life sentence based in part by the identification of a security guard who was later determined had been placed under a hypnotic trance. So this guy had wrongly gone to jail for 33 years because of a guard who was placed under a hypnotic trance. Uh, While other states still, okay, while other states do still allow the use of hypnotically obtained evidence, I will say once again, while other states do still allow the use of hypnotically obtained evidence, the Dallas Morning News reported that Texas is the only one known to have had its own certification program for members of law enforcement to qualify for the practice. So, Uh, there's so many things can't this money that. be used for more tanks and assault <laughs> weapons <laughs> for our police <laughs> uh, too soon too soon yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway wow Moving along, uh, something we also talked about a while ago was the big seed. Um, oh, I forget what it's called. The Fallbark Seed Bank in Norway, where we have the doomsday vaults of all the different, which is, is being Ironic. rendered useless because of global warming now, ironically. Uh, now scientists want to send 33, uh, 335 million seed, sperm, and egg samples to the moon. Uh, so instead of two of every animal, the solar-powered moon arc would cryogenically store frozen's, uh, a frozen uh, seed, spore, sperm, and egg samples from some 6.7 million Earth species. 
uh, Thanga highlighted Thanga, I think is the last name of a person who I cut out of the beginning of the story, but <laughs> I'd like to think of him as a, as like the a caveman lawyer. <laughs> I'm just a caveman. <laughs> Thanga highlights climate change <laughs> as the main concern, especially as it contributes to rising sea levels. A global pandemic and large scale nuclear war are other two major possibilities that the doomsday clock researchers cite for catastrophic disasters. So that uh, the Norway seed uh, doomsday vault currently holds hundreds of thousands of seed samples to ensure continued biodiversity on Earth. Luckily, the moon located at a close 238,850 miles away, has none of those issues. The idea is to store the Ark within a network of lava tubes, which I did not know existed on the moon, about 200 of which were discovered beneath the moon's surface in 2013. And apparently the NASA failed to send out a PR memo about it because I don't remember hearing about that. They formed billions of years ago when underground lava streams formed massive caverns more than 300 feet in diameter. So the tubes have remained untouched for three to four billion years, and they uh, think that that would provide some much-needed protection from solar radiation, meteors, or temperature changes on the surface. So the moon is not hospitable to humans, but those harsh features, quote, make it a great place to store samples that need to stay very cold and undisturbed for hundreds of years at a time. So blah, 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 that would be the... uh, 50 samples from about 6.7 million species and would take about 250 rocket launches, which is over six times what it took to build the International Space Station uh, at 40 rocket launches. Although the space station is like just a work in progress, right? It's not like they're done building it. They keep adding to it, don't they? They keep adding to it, but it does have an end of life schedule for 2030. Aww. So not, not too far away, actually. Wow. What are they going to replace it with? They better uh, start soon. There, yeah, there's there's other plans in the works, and and Russia just joined up with China to build a moon base. And how could and, that go wrong? It's perfect. So maybe I, they'll find the Nazi base on the back side of the moon, <laughs> on the dark side of the moon. That I still I was listening to an old Mark and Todd cast where I went on and on about how I don't understand why we don't see the other side of the moon, and you trying to walk me through it like I'm four, and I still don't understand it. <laughs> It's tidally locked. I know it's tidally locked. That's what you kept saying the last time. <laughs> take take a uh, take take a tennis ball in your hand. I know. I, the ironic and now part is rotate around with it. When I when I uh, taught mad sciences, I had to literally do that to show the kids that I was teaching, and somehow it still <laughs> confuses me. Anyway, back to the moon. They suggested robots could navigate the facility on magnetic tracks since um, it is pretty inhospitable. Uh, And let's see. The team has introduced a type of floating shelf made of a cryo-cooled superconductor material and powered by quantum levitation using a powerful magnet. So interesting science going into building something like that. But um, hopefully that won't be flooded like the sea bank in... in (laughs) Norway. Well, this next story um, is incomplete, and I I don't really want to talk about the story other than the reason that I pulled it out because in the headline, which I think now that I that I erased, referred to a a unit of measurement that caught my eye, and I'll see if you can uh, see where that it where <laughs> what what sparked me. So this whole thing is about. Um, monster antimatter particles slam into Antarctica. Um, it's about an, um, 
uh, neutrinos, which are super interesting to talk about just in general. But so they uh, thick into this paragraph and its explanation of what's going on. is quote a neutrino with 6.3 peta electron volts or PEV of energy uh, is another beast entirely according to CERN the European Physics Laboratory a let's see a tera electron volt is equivalent to the energy of a single mosquito flying at one mile per hour <laughs> so of course I exclaim to myself out loud <laughs> <laughs> what's up with science and the use of and, and the standard of mosquito of a mosquito being... because of course famously i believe the first 100 episodes of this i was consumed by another uh unit of energy that you pulled out of nowhere the, the erg, erg which, which is what it, it's the amount of energy that's necessary for a mosquito to lift another mosquito one centimeter. <laughs> and, I forgot about lifting the other mosquito. I thought it was just lifting itself. So I, so <laughs> it is the amount of energy to lift a mosquito one centimeter. But in the textbook that we learned that in, there was there were two mosquitoes. One was on a little tray with a rope up to a pulley. <laughs> And the the other uh, mosquito was pulling the rope, uh, and it was exerting one erg of energy because that's how much it took to lift one. That one is other so funny. So uh, yeah, an erg, but yeah, then the tera electron volt is the equivalent to the energy of a single mosquito flying at one mile per hour. So what? What I found most fascinating, other than everything about that sentence, is that in no way, nowhere in this article does it refer to the erg. Like, what are we doing? Like, at least do a winking side, like, oh, isn't that a strange unit of measurement? But it is just thrown in there just as part of this science article, which is so crazy. Uh, If you type into Google erg mosquito it comes up with the erg is a minuscule amount of energy often compared to the work it takes for a mosquito to take off which is true or erg derives from the uh word uh mosquito (laughs) push-ups is another term (laughs) given to him it's the amount of energy worked by a mosquito doing a (laughs) push-up there what wait so and the other thing that's uh, not to not to dwell too much on the Terra electron volt, but in some way that word erg is related to, I guess, what it is. It doesn't stand for anything else as far as I I can tell. But nothing in Terra, which, you know, is a th- what a thousand. Is that what Terra is? Um, I don't think like so. A ter- like a terabyte, I'm thinking. Electron. Because there's, there's Terra and Peta and... Uh, we're just really grounding this show to a halt today. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what, 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 let's do another card trick. <laughs> anyway, well, what I'm saying is that like Terra makes sense because the next one up is Peta. Electron volt makes sense because this is a measuring neutrinos and electric current. But um, nothing about that has anything to do with the, mos- with the energy of mosquito. It's amazing. Anyway, I'm, I'll get off that now. 
yeah, that made me laugh really hard. But moving on to two, uh, one one great story and one kind of uh, bittersweet. The first one is that the Clinton Street Theater here in Portland will start live screenings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show for live audiences again for private rentals starting April 1. The century-old cinema has played the cult classic musical every Saturday night for almost 43 years. When the state economy first shut down a year ago today, it appeared the tradition would end, but the theater kept the streak alive continuing to play the movie straight through every weekend to a mostly empty room uh so under <laughs> quote moderate moderate risk designation uh, indoor entertainment value venues can only operate at 50 percent capacity and because venues are forced to close at 11 the screenings will not take place at midnight um, they're not sure of when the start time is, but guests will be required to purchase a ticket in advance. So in addition, the Clinton will also be made available for private rentals beginning April 1. So bookings cost $100 per hour and guests are limited to 12 people. So actually not bad if you distribute that through 12 people and do um, watch a movie on the big screen. So check that out, the Clinton Street Theater. Huh. Um, nice. to be able to rent. And I know I've seen, I don't know how many are doing it, but I've seen other movie theaters too that are that are having private private parties allowed to watch stuff on the big screen so i love it um and another oh i guess it's not bittersweet sorry it is the a very very happy birthday to al jaffe now that may may mean something to some people and al jaffe is celebrating his 100th birthday and is most known for the uh mad magazine fold-ins he is prolific mad magazine artist he did all the snappy answers to stupid questions he did just probably hundreds of thousands of other comics and is most known for doing the fold-ins in the back which really are just incredible feats of illustration if not comedy <laughs> they were always kind of a gentle like very old of course him celebrating 100 years doesn't uh, isn't surprising but kind of that old school vaudevillian silly type of comedy that mad magazine was always i was thinking of i mean i read magazine uh, mad magazine all the way growing up i had a subscription to it uh <laughs> and they used to send it um uh i think in a protected no they sent one issue in a um in a brown paper cover like a newsprint yeah. cover and it said here is here is your pornography <laughs> wrapped in plain <laughs> in plain brown paper or something like that on the outside which is so funny <laughs> um and i don't know that i ever laughed out loud to mad magazine and it was usually just a bunch of groaners like very boomer kind of comedy as yeah. it was happening in the 80s and 70s but just i i just always devoured it the art the caricatures and the art styles and all of that were just uh yeah, so it was fun always to, interesting to interesting to read yeah yeah so al happier birthday al jaffe congratulations on 100 zany years of your life <laughs> that's awesome uh, that is all i had Cool, cool. Well, I uh, I have an interesting little thing that I've I've heard about before, but I've never uh, really gone deep into it. And um, I they have just made kind of another uh, event moving forward uh, in the dissertation and, and dissection of it. And I so I thought we would talk. Uh, about the uh, anti uh, anti kythera uh, mechanism, 
Uh, have you ever heard of the Antikythera me mechanism? I have. I have not, unless that. Oh. Uh, although I didn't watch Star Trek, and that very much sounds like something <clears throat> that they would very, do to disable yeah. the Borg somehow. Yeah. So the Ant Antikythera is a uh, one of the Greek are um, Greek islands, you know, in the in the Mediterranean. And oh, I thought you were saying anti, like A N T I dash Kathera. <laughs> Like it was going against Kathera. No, it's Antikythera is the name of the island. Okay. Uh, and, um, and 120 years ago, in the in 21 years ago, uh, in the year 1900, there were some. Oh my gosh! I was expecting you to say like in 1860, 120 years ago. But holy crap! 1900 was 121 years ago. Oh. Right. Okay. That Remember was the 1900s? A little. <laughs> Grandpa, do you remember the 1900s? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, 121 years ago, in the year 1900, there were some sponge uh, uh, harvesters, uh, you know, uh, fishermen uh, that were harvesting sponges off of that coast of that island. And it is a treacherous little uh, area where ships could just crash into the rocks and 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 fall apart and and uh sink as they were finding sponges they found a bronze hand uh and they let the local authorities know and uh they came and for uh two or three years they really harvested a a uh, very expansive shipwreck that happened uh, about a 100 BC, so about 2100 years ago. And uh, they found more than 200 clay pots, many of them still intact, still filled with liquid. They found vases and oil lamps and incredible bronze statue and statues. And they had marble statues that had sunk like halfway into the silt and so uh half of the statue was exposed to all of the uh open plant life and and everything of the bottom of the ocean and they've just totally degraded and the other half is in perfect pristine marble conditions so you can kind of see what you know what the yeah. elements do to something it's really fascinating to look at and um as they were looking, they, they came across a little item. It was about the size, what they say is uh, about the size of a dictionary. Um, and, and kids, uh, a dictionary is a book. Uh, a book is like an iPad. But <laughs> it takes thicker. 17 ergs to lift it off a table <laughs> to read. Exactly. And, uh, and so it's about the size of a dictionary. And it was just kind of a lump of what appeared to be bronze it was all degraded, and as soon as it hit the air, it started to fall apart. And so they did, you know, remember this is 120 years ago. So they uh, brought it immediately to the museum and, and started the preservation process and extracting the barnacles and, and everything. And they um, <clears throat> revealed a gear in this mechanism. And so I'm going to share my screen with you here. Not that one. Let's do that one. 
And uh, and so this, can you see my cursor as well? Yes, I can. Yeah. So so this uh, exhibit A here <laughs> is kind of the biggest piece, and this gear is about five inches across in the original uh, the original piece, and they've got uh, a series of little chunks that had Greek lettering on it and gears and little. Uh, it, it was clearly a mechanism of some sort, and it took uh, dozens of years to really flesh out what it was, and th- and a lot of the clues were given in the text. But what uh, they've been able to do now is reproduce oh, wow. the entire mechanism and they uh, to what they believe it is, as we only have... Uh, fragments of the pieces and the text explaining, which were basically the operator's manual yeah. on this thing. And just to back up a little bit to kind of explain a little more. Yeah. So the first, the first images you were showing me look like, you know, chunks of metal you would find in a shipwreck, and like one of them look, has yeah. like a, a circle with an X through it, looks like a shield, you know, and just kind of weird things that you would pull out of a fire, kind of looking type things, and then you scrolled up. And there's an, and an illustration that looks like if you would kind of deconstruct a watch or a clock face and see the different yep. series of, of gears and, and tumblers uh, ex- kind of exploded out. So that's the second image that you're showing me. Yep. In, indeed. Sorry about that. And um, what what this has turned out to reveal is an astronomical chart that is able to accurately predict the position of five planets and the moon wow. and the sun uh, and the phase of the moon and the position of the planets, including the um, <clears throat> the um, retrograde orbit uh, look uh, of things. So when we are rotating around the or you know, orbiting around the sun, the other planets appear to move forward and then kind of move back and then move forward again. And, and that happens when we are either um, overtaking or being overtaken by a planet. So like Mercury spins around the sun very fast when it kind of overtakes us at one moment, it's coming at us. And then another moment it's going away. And uh, when you, are looking into the sky it looks like it kind of pauses and then moves back and then moves forward again and this mechanism took into account all of those uh scientific facts and you could turn a crank find a date on it and it would show you the position of those five planets the phase of the moon the position of the moon and the position of the sun. Wow. Note that at this time, they thought everything revolved around the earth. Oh, right. So they did not know how these things were working. <laughs> they were only uh, working the math to make a prediction machine that accurately put all of that in place. And it's phenomenal. And so what uh, these layers of chunks of degraded metal, they now have really accurate, you know, like x-rays that they are scanning all the little minutia layers in that and extracting different uh, pieces of text, different 
cogs, you know, they of all these, I, I think there's like 37 different gears that are in there. They have almost no complete gears. They only have little fragments of each one. And uh, from each fragment, they're able to determine, well, this fragment fits here. That meant that the diameter was this and the number of teeth on this little arc second was this many teeth. So if I make 360 degree, then it would have this many teeth. And then working out the math and the prime, I watched a, a documentary for about a half an hour that just went into the math of the gears. Wow. Uh, and that it was 30 minutes on the prime numbers and, and using uh, the, the math of Mercury and Venus and the moon and the sun uh, all in, in one device that, <clears throat> that preceded anything like it for 1500 years. So this was the last one. Yeah, you know, this is the only one known of Greek origin. And there's text writings that allude to machines like this. So we know that there, this was just the only one that's been recovered. Right. But that technology was lost until the rise of the, uh, you know, basically the, the Romans in the 1500s and, and, uh, more of the modern uh, uh, European technology, you know, Galileo and uh, all that being being developed, technology didn't exist like this for fifteen hundred years until it was redeveloped and, um, so, and brought forward. And th so there isn't something exactly like this to this day except for this one piece. So theoretically, like I said, this looks like an exploded version of a rock or, a, uh, excuse me, a clock with all the different gears. Go uh, go back down to the original uh, thing that we were looking at. Oh, no, up. This nope, one? the next one. Or yeah, that one. This one. Uh, yep. So yeah, exploded version of the, of the mechanisms and stuff like that. And on one end, you can see a couple little dots, which I'm assuming are the little planets that are on there. Yes. So does this yes. work? So like theoretically, if you could wind this up, it would, much like a clock, just match the day and time of when things are going to be. Kind of. Is that correct? So the the outer ring was 365 tick marks for the Egyptian calendar. And then the sub-ring were the, um, <clears throat> the um, astrological signs. Okay. So uh, the 12 months. And then there was a, a wheel on the right-hand side that you can see in this picture, a crank. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so you would crank this device until the day and month matched, basically, uh, for what year you're in. And then there were two wheels on the back that it was able, you're able to kind of calibrate with. And those wheels on the back uh, were able to predict lunar eclipses. <laughs> And um, and also when the next Olympiad is, <laughs> so uh, it tracked everything that it possibly could. It was it was kind of the mechanical calculator, yeah. calculator, calendar, uh, and uh, all, all the things in in one. It was pretty magnificent. And so you can also see. I'll see if I can zoom in on it here. So this inner dial, if you. It's it's kind of representing a Earth 
right in the middle. Right. And then this first plate is the position of the moon. And the moon has a black side and a white side that rotate in itself. So as this rotates around the earth, the phase changes as well. And so you can see the exact phase of the moon in that position. And then there are the five planets, uh, Mercury, Venus, Mars, And the outside, the Jupiter, face of Saturn. it, I know we're doing a, a lot of visual explaining, but the yeah. face of it sort of looks like a, a fancy... Um, combination lock like on a big safe how there's like yep. the big dial in the middle and then a couple dials around it to um kind of match things up with um wow that's it so did it i wonder i guess during the use of this or making of it nothing about it made them think about the earth not being the center i I mean, we don't even know who invented this. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, we, Steve, good old, good old Steve-O. Uh, it, it, so this opens so many questions exactly like what you're yeah. saying. It's like, given this math, if you can do this math, you could also go, why does this math work? Because it doesn't work with our current model of how things are working. And uh, it, it, so they have incredibly clever ways of dealing with the odd cycle that we perceive of Venus, uh, like to the tune of once every 443 days, it does this kind of kind of like it's not it's not trivial at all. It's incredibly complex. And uh, for them to be able to calculate and mechanize that math you would have all of the ingredients to know why that math is working but it wasn't until you know galileo and newton and and others many years later to help put all of these pieces together and say you know what we're not the center of the universe and you know Galileo didn't. Uh, uh, there's there's a lot of controversy about Galileo, and he wasn't the first one to know right. that or or anything like that. But um, well, but then there, there's a lot. Became there. heroes of the religious power, of course, as we all exactly. remember that story. <laughs> <laughs> wow that yeah. is fascinating and i know there's a couple and i should probably look them up on youtube tonight but uh, a lot of these ancient um because you said this is from t like 2100 years ago yeah so it's 100 bc is when the the range of time that the, <clears throat> because they've got a shipwreck with a lot of other artifacts on that ship they're able to trace that event very pretty specifically and so there's a range of about 140 years that it could have been within and most estimates land about 100 years bc well and what's One, what's really surprising BC. about that is that this clearly wasn't just <clears throat> invented on at 100 bc that's you know this is exactly. clearly something that has gone through a lot of <laughs> versions and the programmers of the day or whatever trying exactly. to like code this machine and like that's what you would have been back then is like trying to code the whatever mechanism this is called <laughs> <laughs> exactly and uh you know grinding the the individual teeth of gears would be 
uh, my arrays. Uh, yes. Wow, that's super interesting. But yeah, what is it like? There's a bunch of these other mechanisms that are either puzzles or calendars or lunar trackers like this that show up every now and then on these shipwrecks that are just like incredibly complicated pieces of machinery or like those Victorian those Victorian, um, they kind of shape them like a hand or a human, but they're programmed to do handwriting. And it's all oh like gosh. mechanical, Those are beautiful incredible. handwriting. And like all things like that that just exist from cogs and gears and stuff like that is just just amazing. So very, very cool. Automatons. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I love those. Very cool. I need to get one of those to uh, teach me how the moon is always facing toward us. <laughs> that would have been me as the programmer. I can't get it to keep the moon only facing us. It's broken. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Mark and Todd cast. You can hear us on the Fun Employment Radio Network. Um Shoot, there was something I was going to announce at the end here. Not announce, but say at the end, and now I've completely forgotten. So, oh, well. Oh, no, no. Next week, we are doing the uh, a 50th celebration for Portland at the Movies, where we have now done 50, inexplicably 50 movies that most people have never even heard of that are filmed in and around Portland. So if you have uh, specific memories of shooting a film here or experiences, whether it's with a movie that we've already done or uh, a different one, or you have a memory from the podcast itself, uh, drop us a line. You can send it to, you can leave that on the Mark and Todd cast Facebook page since we no longer are allowed to have a Portland at the movies Facebook page. So, uh, reach out, let us know of a memory if you want us to include that in the 50th episode. So, uh, other than that, I don't know what you'll be hearing next, but, uh, it will be taking you out of the Mark and Todd cast. Do you want, you want to do another card trick, Mark? Is that what you're holding up? <laughs> Oh, you're putting the cards into a bag. Put them in the bag. Goodbye, cards. And then goodbye, cards. Are you going to pull a rabbit out of that? You know what I'm going to do? I'll play us out with Chris Chris Angel Angel Mind Freak Freak television theme song right now. Uh, (laughs) Perfect. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Bye.